Welcome to the House Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message by Pastor Stephen Sexton. If you would like to know more about the House Church, please visit our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the House app. I want to give you five concepts that we're going to talk about today, and then we'll move through James. Five concepts that will help you continue the movement of God in your life. And that's really how James ends the last chapter of his letter. Five concepts real quick. I'm going to give them to you and then we're going to pray and get into this. The first is how you handle the abundance of money. Um, How you handle the abundance of money. Second is staying patient and persevering. The third is mean what you say. And say what you mean. If you're going to say it, say it and mean it. The the fourth is be active in faith and in prayer. And five is always seek to restore. These are things that I really feel like James pulls out in this last chapter. And so we're going to read it. But let's talk a little bit about this. Let's talk as as he's working through this, how we handle the abundance of our our money. And and for those of you who maybe you've been hooked up to each of our our lessons or our our sermons here on James, I know you're reading this and going, woo, this one's not for me. (laughs) Yeah, baby. (laughs) Woo, yeah, some of y'all need to get right and get given. But this right here, this ain't me, baby. (laughs) But, but the reality is we love our stuff. We love our stuff. And let me just kind of put everything into a little bit of perspective for you. We in America, we love our stuff so much. We, the U.S. now has over 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space. Let, let, me put that into, um, let me put that into a reality for you. In other words, all, of, um, all Americans could fit into the self-storage space and have seven feet of cubic, uh, seven cubic feet. We could fit all of us into the storage units and have seven feet. That's a lot of storage. That's a lot of storage. 50% of renters now store stuff that just won't fit in their home. Over the last 50 years, the average home in America has doubled in size. Most people, when, they, when they're asked about self-storage, their response is, I just don't have time and I don't want to put in the work to empty my storage unit. So they just continue to pay for it. Now here's, uh, some of you are like, eh. <laughs> But we now, have, we now have shows where it's like hoarders. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, when, when, when you've filled up your home, and you're rocking your third storage unit, let's have a talk. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Okay, God is not against money. God is against money having us and thinking that stuff can somehow bring happiness into our life. And we are in, and I, and I grew up, listen, it, it, I, I grew up in church, and I remember people talking about the last days. Oh, we're in the last days. And I'm like, okay, last days to me means last days. It doesn't mean a talking point that sounds like last days. Because when I was seven, it was last days, and now I'm 42. That's a long day. You understand what I'm saying? I'm, hey. But the reality is, it, this is all at some point coming to an end. It's all coming to an end. 
Now, no man knows the time. Even Jesus said, I don't know that time. But here's what I'm saying is when that time comes, we will all be held accountable for what we sowed, what we gave, what we did, and what we amassed. And there are people, listen, I understand I want everybody to Dave Ramsey. Come on, baby. I want you. I want you blessed. I want you prospering. I want you tithing 10, saving 10, and living on 80. The Bible speaks of foolish is the man that uses all that they have, and there is no margin. So the Bible is not talking about being a good steward. The Bible is coming against the concept of more, 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 where it pushes us to think that, If I can just get a size or uh, my finances or my life in some sort of capacity where I can take my foot off the gas and live comfortably, everywhere I read in Scripture where someone is comfortable, compromise is next. Everywhere I read in Scripture. The reality is God wants you to have. Come on, I, 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 the reality is when we started this ministry, there were three or four people that had abundance and they owned companies and they m- met with me and said, we will help you. And, and out of their abundance, and man, they had a nice house, nice place to live, acreage, double houses. I, I, but they, they, out of their abundance, they said, you know what? We want to see another church started. We want to see another thing happen. We want to see God move. God is not against us having money. God is against money having us. I love that James comes right out the gate and talks about money. And it's amazing how sensitive this topic is. It makes people feel uncomfortable, squirmy, you know? It it makes people, okay, why are you talking about money? What is your real motive? What are you trying to do? Oh, I guess your wife needs a new car, doesn't she? You know, I mean, and people have all of these concepts about talking about money. What does the preacher really want from me? The truth is, if you come to this church, I want you to live blessed. That's it. I don't see this gospel as a poverty gospel. But I believe that God wants to take you wherever you're at. And the, the, just like Excess can lead to, to um, control and manipulation and pride. Not having can lead to being a victim yep. and have a victim mentality. And you're always looking for a handout and you're always meeting people so what they can do for me. And the reality is faithful in the little ruler over much. You've got to manage what you have, and it will grow. That's what God says. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, grow it. In other words, if you tend it, and you keep it, and you manage it, it will, it will always grow. And so just like I don't want to be over here, well, God just wants us to be groveling. No, he doesn't. I believe that we're kings. I believe that he is the king, and we are adopted into his family, and I don't believe his budget is low. <laughs> We're adopted into a family, and I don't think that we're adopting into a family that he can't afford. He knew, and he has. On the flip side, I don't think the goal is that our money brings us happiness. Ministry is a tool for ministry. 
Money is a tool for ministry, and we are growing, and we are using what God gives us to encourage someone, to bring someone over, to move, to, to pastor in our family, to bring kids over, to bring kids from schools over, to speak. Come on, someone's got to have a fridge that they can fill up to feed kids. That, does that make sense? We've got to have an all of this. We, we think that ministry's only in the church. Come on. That's one of the reasons the church is looked at as unrelatable. Because we're, the, all the ministry isn't just here. The ministry is through you and to you. Come on, this summer, we, a family took us, my family, out. I don't have a boat. But they took us out. They didn't even charge us. And we brought six. <laughs> we rolled deep, baby. <laughs> And they just said, hey, we want to bless you. Y'all come on out. And we had fun. And I'm talking about it was a moment of rest. It was a moment. I'm, what God has given us, we use to help build and build. The, I, I mean, always encourage people. The truth is, I want you blessed. My hope is that our people are thriving, but we're givers. Because it's giving that you'll be set free. Money is the fastest way to trap you in bondage. With thoughts like, we don't have enough. I don't have enough. Church, I'm just telling you, God is watching how we spend our money. And the, if our heart cry is more, 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 then our cry of our heart is not Him. Yeah. It's not Him. The goal of your life is not to be comfortable. The goal of your life is to be a minister. If we cry more, then here's the deal. It affects how we deal with people. James comes out strong against the rich. Listen, what are you doing? You're oppressing people. You're finding ways not to pay people for their work. You're working the system and you're hurting people. For 20, over 20 years, I've been a tither and I've been a giver. And, and every Sunday, if you're new here, we have a moment in worship where people come to the altar. Now, I realize people in Northwest Arkansas may not have seen that a lot. And so it's awkward. <laughs> I'm not a church where we move. I'm a church where we sit. I've gone to church and we sit the whole time and we leave. We walk in and we walk out. I'm very uncomfortable with a lot of things in this church. People talk and they laugh and they, amen, that's good. That's, it's weird. I grew up in a church where you went to listen. And so all of this giggling and it's just so, un, you know, it's just, I just don't know if God would approve. <laughs> I just think that church should be stoic. I wouldn't use the word boring, but reverent. <laughs> the music is way, way too, way too loud. <laughs> you, call, you think he, he's up there in heaven calling that praise? <laughs> he's calling it noise. <laughs> the reality is this. For 20 years we were at a church. A, a church of 500, 600 people. And, and, and the, the vision was sown so great about coming to the altar and tithing and giving. And, and, and as a church, that is the culture that I'm wanting to produce. 
That is the culture that I'm wanting to bruise. In Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24, here is how we do offerings. So when, when, just to set you up, if you're not familiar with our process, when we end the service, we do offering and we have buckets on the, on the, on the outside and buckets here at the front. And what my goal is that we stand, we come into the aisle, and we let people come and pray, and they walk around the other side, and we keep coming, and it's not confusing. Come on, yellow light, red light, baby. We're not trafficking. And some of y'all, the reason you haven't come up yet to the altar is because it's anxiety. Uh, which way should I go? There's no lanes. Can we have some, some arrows? Can we... I, I, I don't want to go and come on the same aisle, but the reality is, my heart is that we would, when the worship begins and we're moving to that, we come up, we take care of our business, and we go around the sides and come sit down, and we move, and we have a time of coming to the altar to give our gift, because here's what the Bible says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, the altar, I understand that you may have grown up in a church where they pass a plate or they tip or you just kind of empty your change. But the reality is there was something about going to the altar with your family. There's something about a man going to the altar with his wife and his kids and praying and being the leader. There's something about that single mom bringing her kids to the altar and saying, God, I submit, I give my paycheck, I'm committing to you, and I'm humbling myself in front of you. And there, remember that if your brother has something against you, leave your gift there, it didn't say put it back in your pocket, and go your way, and first be reconciled to your brother and then come give your offering. In other words, part of this, and this is Jesus talking. There, the reason we set up our offering is because anytime you give money, it's spiritual. The Bible says wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. When people fund your ministry, when people give, when people do, when you walk up, come on, I don't know if anybody's ever had a, had a holy handshake. You know, hey, brother, and there's like some money, and you're like, ooh. <laughs> they didn't just give you a couple bucks. They gave you their heart. That money could have gone anywhere. They gave you their heart. And so when we come, we are submitting and saying, okay, here's our heart, Lord. I'm not going to rob you. I'm not going to hoard from you. I'm not going to store up things that will be corroded. Or, 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 come on, have you ever cleaned out a storage shed and stuff was there too long and then you thought you needed it and then it smelled bad, it looked bad, it was bad? That's the thing that God is saying hey, if you don't know what to do with your storage, check this out. Have a garage sale and go give all that money to Saving Grace. But don't hoard it. Take that money. Use what you need. Use what you need. Do what you want. I'm not, I'm not but, but listen, for Christians to have all of that that we don't need, while there are people that we, come on, what missionary can you support? Come on, with one empty storage unit, could you support a missionary for one month? I'm not saying give away all that you have. I'm not saying that, so don't even hear that. Don't send me no emails. <laughs> 
But we, by nature, Americans always think more and we're always dissatisfied with what we have. And God is saying, hey, the stuff won't make you happy. It won't make you happy. And I remember as I grew up, 19 years old, watching men and women. And I'm telling you, the reason we go to the altar, only, not only because the Bible said, but for 20 years I was in a church where men, and I watched men and women and singles and people come to the altar. And I'm telling you, it did something for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that church is, 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 if we're not careful, church will put you in the spectator mode. But people will go to church and you'll, you, you don't have to pray. You don't have to do anything. You just have to sit there, listen, and endure some music and leave. But I want you to come on and actively be a part of this service and pray. And spend some time with the Lord. When this letter was written, it, you understand this was a letter. So, so people put chapters and verses in there. He, he did not write the letter and go, okay, thought five. You know what I'm saying? He, he, it was just an open letter. And, and then the church fathers, they decided, okay, we got to break this up. And so this is really a continuation from the last thought in James chapter four. I just want you to look at that. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him is sin. And then he begins to go on and talk about your money, your money. Listen, for all of us, we've got to make sure money is not going to get you what you need. And there's an old saying that says, you can't buy character, but money will always reveal it. It will always reveal it. Listen, as a church, we want to take care and give and be givers. And here's the thing, I am where I'm at, and Katie and I are where we're at. And listen, we're not the, the, the most, we're not most wealthy, most rich, but, I, but we have been taken care of because for 20 years we've been tithing. We've been giving, and even the first year when the church was not supporting, this church was not supporting us for the first year, we were still okay. Because faithful in the little, ruler over much. Does that make sense? We were still okay, God, because of what had happened here. God was able to propel us here, and I'm telling you, God wants to move on your life. Katie and I don't live by your tithe, we live by ours. That's the reality. That's the reality. God will do it from somewhere else. God will send somebody else and he's done it. As we look at this, there's just a couple of thoughts that I want to give you and we're going to move out of this section because I think I've made my point. <laughs> it says, reap how your riches are corrupted, your gold and silver are corroded. Listen, the first thing that I think it tells us is that you may not feel wealthy, but if you live in America, you're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. And I'm, ti I'm tired of people talking about how bad we are. You know what I'm saying? The reality is, go, I, there, there's about five places you can go live, and I promise you'll be back. <laughs> and that's not, I'm not dogging anybody. I'm just saying... When you've been in it so much, it's very easy to be spoiled and, 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 and produce ungratefulness. Come on. Come on. My, we go out to eat a little bit. And my kids, come on, when I was a kid, going out to eat was a treat, baby. 
I mean, when we went to McDonald's or something, it was like, oh, can I actually get a Happy Meal? You can. <laughs> now my kid, we go to eat, and you know, and they're like, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I'm like. You have no reality. <laughs> you have grown up under, you eat out too much. We don't take this back about 40 years. We'll eat out once a year and, and then it'll change real quick. Dad, I get a Happy Meal? You know what I mean? This, this toy stinks. What else you got back there? You know? As Americans, listen, there is no lasting value in hoarding. It gives you a false sense of security. Use what you need and give. The next thing, we don't steal. Come on, we don't steal. If you owe money, you pay it. Yeah. I know this is crazy. But if you bought a car, if you bought a couch, if you bought land, if you had a babysitter come over, you pay up. You know what I'm saying? You don't take the credit card, max it out, get mad at the company, and go, well, you know, the, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. No, you, you, you stole. You pay your bills. Pay your debts. Live on less. We don't max it out. We pay up. Listen, we don't use our money to control people. Come on, those of you who have a little bit more money and a little bit more means, it's very easy for your money to stay invested. You know, the Bible says leave and cleave. Come on, you need to let that little girl, you need to let that little boy grow up and you need to stop inserting your control with your money. Come on. You had a life. You got to live it. Now let them live theirs. And you can be a help, but don't be a hindrance because she will never rely on him and he will never rely on her if mama and daddy are always present for the bailout. You hear what I'm saying? You got there and they will too. The last thing on this section is your hard work isn't so that one day you can be lazy. We work six and we rest one. And you need to be about something every day. The next part, James chapter 5, verse 7. Come on, some of you are like, thank you, God. <laughs> Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And see how a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it to... Um, for it until it receives the earthly and latter rain. And you also be patient. Establish your hearts. Kind of underline that. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You have seen the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. As we look at this, we've got to establish our hearts. He is coming. There is something out there. Don't give up. Don't begin to start grumbling and complaining and let things come into your heart. And now you're focused on who hurts you and this world because we live above that. We're thinking about what's going to be happening, where we're going. And there's always something to bring you down in the mud. There's always a provoke, a thought. Someone hurt you. Someone did something to you. And before you know it, well, you're now. And God's saying, you're living here. 
and I need you here. Come on, you're living here. You, you've been holding that thing against your dad. You've been holding that thing against your mom. You've been holding that thing about your business partner. You've been holding that thing about your old church. You're living here. And I need you to live here. And so you can't think like someone who's thriving in your spiritual life because you're all locked up and in bondage. I can't move through you. Don't give yourself to those things. Sometimes we deal with setbacks, and it's not easy, and it's hard, but those setbacks, if we're not careful, can break and, and, and hurt our perspective in life. We just read that God hears your cry. Come on, when the children of Israel went in bondage, the Bible says that God went to Moses and he said, I heard the cry of my people. Right here in this verse, it says that God heard the cry. God is hearing your cry. And you may think, well, I'm not crying. But, but, but we all have moments when we're like, when is this going to break? When is this going to change? God, when are you going to do this? When am I going to break through? What's going to happen in this? And God hears your cry. He's not deaf concerning you. He hears you. He hears you. Don't give up, sir. Don't give up, ma'am. Don't let the wrong things creep into your heart. Keep going. The Bible says, look at the example of Job. Job was a man of means. And I love the fact that he uses this example coming right out of talking about wealth. Because the reality is Job was very, very wealthy. But yet he uses him as a model because here's the thing. Job had wealth, but wealth didn't have Job. He never quit. He never broke. Come on, if, if the market crashed and all of a sudden Walmart went out of business, you would have people jumping off. I mean, it, it, I mean it's uh, Arkansas, so we only have like two stories. But they would jump. <laughs> they may just take a plane to New York and jump. <laughs> little tag on their toe, take me back to Arkansas. <laughs> but the reality is, if all of this fell apart, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be tough. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be hard. I'm not saying that you would have to process. But I am telling you, at the end of all of that, your boss, your income, your check, is not the supplier of your life. It's not. Job lost everything. He lost all of his kids. One building fell down and everyone died. Can you even imagine? Come on, I know people who have lost a child in birth. I know people, who, and my heart breaks. I can't imagine. Lost it all. Lost all of his wealth. Lost all of his cattle. Lost everything. His friends come over and say, God, boy, God's mad at you. His wife says, you need to curse God and die, but he never strays. And at the end of his life, it was all given back. He still had a scar. He still had pain. I mean, he may have had more kids, but obviously he was sad about the kids he lost. We all have our marks. We all have things that we've come through. But the reality is those scars are the testimony that says God is faithful even when I've been hurting. And I don't know what church you've been in, but can I tell you that, that it is against the word to preach a life without scars. We, we, we see victory. And so you're never going to be defeated. But if Jesus kept his scars, you're going to keep yours. 
Scars are a testimony of what you came through. What should have killed you but didn't. And the world needs to see all of this hand raising and the crying. The world does not relate to that. But what happens is, this, this scarred me and this hurt me and this wounded me, but God. And that's when they go, oh my God. I experienced the same thing. And if you came through, I can come through. Mean what you say, James chapter 5 verse 12. But above all, brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. James is, is talking, he's already talked about the power of the tongue in James chapter 3, but in this section he comes back to clarify. Mean what you say. It's cute to pinky promise, and, and we all have these, these things that we've grown up in culture. Come on, I swear, I swear, I swear on my mother's grave, I swear, I promise. And James is saying, whoa, 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 don't do none of that. You're not trying to entice people into believing you. You're a person of character. And when you say yes or when you say no, that's what it should be done. I'm going to meet you at 9 o'clock, then you're there at 8.50. You're not, oh yeah, something came up. Your yes is yes and your no is no. Hey, I'll be over there. Something better came up. That Something better doesn't come up because you gave your word. And your word is more important. Well, you know, people understand and things go, you know. No. Your word is your word. Come on, parents. And I, 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 I wish I could just say y'all need to get it right. But, but the reality is, come on. As a dad, we always love to promise things we can't deliver on. It's made me back up and go, oh. <laughs> now I have to clarify. Hey, let's go do this. So we're going to do that one day. <laughs> I'll get with my secretary and the calendar. I'll let you know when. <laughs> but I really want to. You know what I'm saying? Your yes is yes and your no is no. Come on. If your kids sign up for a sport, they play the sport. Yeah. Well, you know, they, little Johnny... Little Johnny just didn't like it. Little Johnny committed, finish, and don't do it again. But don't teach that an excuse can trump commitment. Because right now, it's not facing you. But as they grow, it will. That's right. It's will. Does that make sense? We are people of our word. I will do it. I will not do it. I will be there. I will not be there. Yes is yes. No is no. But we don't live in maybe because here's the deal. You can't bank on a maybe. And maybe, maybe gets to the place where, you know what? If we're not careful, we'll live our whole life on maybe. And you can't grow anything on maybe. You can't grow anything on maybe. Be active in prayer and faith. James chapter 5 Verse 13 and 18. Are you guys getting something out of this? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let him pray over him and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. 
And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let's talk a little bit about this. See, I, I may have had everybody till this moment right here. Because when we speak practically, well, that's good. That's good. We need to manage our money. Yep, yep, commitment. It's good. It's good. I'm saying I want my wife to say yes and say yes for my whole life. It's good. <laughs> teacher, teacher, pastor. We've got to be a church where we allow for supernatural things to happen. And here's the thing. If we are scared of these things because we don't understand them, I don't know about you, but I don't always want to live on what I understand. And I certainly don't want to micromanage the power of God where he has to be moved by my intellect. Well, if I just don't understand it, then I can't believe it. Well... Explain creation to me. <laughs> Explain how your body functions. There are some things that you understand that you that there's no way you just you haven't given yourself to that study. And the reality is God is the ultimate standard, not your perception. And many times we make God too small. There is a U.S. Bureau, a standard of measure. And so we have a whole uh, government uh, 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 agency made up to make sure that an inch stays an inch. <laughs> Sounds like our government. Whenever you say, God, prove it to me, you become the absolute standard. And God is never going to come under you. You have to open up your perception and perspective to Him. And so here is the deal. Yes, I've been in churches, like I said, I, and many of you don't know our past, but when you come to Framework, you can learn a little bit more. But the reality is, I did. I grew up in a charismatic church that we believed in, in prayer and healing and God. And, and then, here's the thing, I, I saw a lot of things about that that I loved. And I saw a lot of people that I thought, y'all are straight crazy. <laughs> come on. You're praying for the bag of money, but you need to pay your bills. You know what I'm saying? I mean. And so it, it, there were some things that I loved. It made me love people, but it also turned me off to some things. And then I, had, I went and had 20 years under a pastor that was very practical. You know, and I would come in, oh, pastor, we had a great experience. He was like, great. Does your wife like you? Your kids want to be like you? You got money? How do people view you in the community? Well... <laughs> I don't really know that. You know what I'm saying? And so here's the thing. I, we've got to be a church that prays for people. We've got to be a church that, that, that lays our hands and believes that God can heal. And here's the deal. The power isn't you. The power is him. He's looking for a funnel. And the way I like to describe this is we are the hose and he is the substance. But he's looking for an area that he can water. He is looking for an area. Who's going to believe? Who's going to have the faith? Who's going to do that? And God is just looking for an avenue where God can be God. I don't believe that all, well, you know, it all passed away. Okay? Well, if you look at that verse in Corinthians, it says, love also. Has love passed away? Uh, love. We don't have to love anymore. The reality is this. We, the Bible tells us here to, put, to, to, to get out the oil and to pray over them. Now, I remember, 
Man, they would slosh that oil around and I, you know what I'm saying? Whoa, what are you doing? Like a bath. Here's what you need to see. Listen. What we need to understand is this. Sometimes we as Christians, we get too wrapped up in the process and we think the anointing is in the oil. And it's not. The reality is oil was a way in their day that they used medically. And, and, and it was a healing agent that they were able to apply oil to someone and then pray for them. So there are a couple points that James gives us about having our faith active and, and prayer. The first is this. James tells us five ways healing comes. First, apply medical treatment. Come on, I remember in the 80s, every TV show was about the church because nobody would go to the doctor because God's going to heal them. Go to the doctor. <laughs> a, a, apply medical does that mean God is not limited to medicine, but it would be crazy for us not to use it. And at that day, there were not a lot of doctors, but there was oil. And so they would, they would, it, it would cover them and it would help. And it was an agency. It was a practice that God used. Come on. Apply medical treatment. The second thing is have a prayer of faith. Don't doubt. Don't be someone who doubts. Don't, well, I'm doing it because it's the system, but I don't really know if it's going to work. Well, guess what? It won't. You're praying in faith. And listen, most of the miracles that we see in the, old te- in the, in the, in the Gospels were people that had no other option. And so if you're trying to see and try it, and you know, you're praying like it's uh, Pepsi or Dr. Pepper. <laughs> If God heals me, it's cool. I'll save a couple thou. But if he doesn't, I'll just go over there, get my, you know, liver out. It'll be all good. <laughs> there are, it, it talks about fervent prayer. In other words, you're all in. You're all in. I'm all into this. I'm believing. I'm praying. I believe that God's going to move. Prayer of faith where I'm undoubted. The, second, the third thing is we're surrounded by strong believers who believe. It says call on the elders. In other words, it doesn't call on people who just got saved. It calls on people who have been grounded in their faith, who are mature. And and we ask them to combine their faith and pray over us. I don't want prayer for someone who doesn't think it's going to (laughs) work. Yeah, um, I don't know. (laughs) Just kind of throwing the dice here. The fourth thing is this, confess your sin. Come on, we transgress. That means we go over the line and we've got to know when we went over the line and we've got to come back and say, okay, God. And here's what's interesting. It says, find a brother, find a sister, find someone and be honest with them. Come on, I think one of the reasons the church isn't blowing up is because everybody's hiding something. And listen, you can't tell everything you got to to everybody, but you need to find someone that you can go 100% with. If you want to be healed, if you want to be free, if you want to thrive spiritually. And the last one is this. The prayer should be passionate. And I'm not talking about weird. I'm not into weird, and we don't do weird at this church. So if you're weird, you can't stay. (laughs) But I do believe in passion. 
I do believe when you see us raising our hands. The Bible says, if you're happy, sing. If you're sad, pray. If you're hurting, pray. So you're going to hear people clap and sing and, wow, this church, y'all are just so animated. Well, we're happy. <laughs> Bless God. But guess what? We've got to grow. And there are some people here that you may need prayer. You may need healing. The last thing is, y'all come on up here. The last verse. And man, I, I tried to get all this in. I'm sorry. I've kept you. I'm, I'm getting out of here. 19. Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Listen to this. Listen to this. We have a calling on our life to restore people. And the Bible, James ends. And I love the way he ends because the way he ends is he says, always seek to restore. Always seek to restore people. Come on, we know people who blew it, who had an affair, who cheated in business, who did. But, but yes, and we can be mad and we can work all through that or we can seek to restore them. And the Bible says that if we go after and we restore the ones that are wandering, they can reset their life. You have a purpose, and there is a powerful plan of God on your life, and you are vital to the kingdom of God. And that's why we're setting up next week and the next four weeks for this reset. And all the people who are speaking are going to be sharing their testimony and what they went through and what God did in their life. Come on, do you know someone who got hurt by church? you some someone who grew up and, and, and offended and mad and they're frustrated and they don't know what they think about God anymore? Would you text them? Would you not? I don't, don't preach to them. Oh, you know better. <laughs> hey, man, you came to my mind today. I'm praying for you. I love you guys. We miss your family. Just reach out. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible ends, and I love the way it ends, because James is all about doing the Word. And we got to do the Word. And come on, don't let people just be offended and hurt and out there and victimized by the enemy. Call them. Call them. Invite them. Tell them it's time to reset their faith. Come, come, Come hear these four people. Come and listen and see what God wants to do in your life. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message ministered to you. Feel free to let us know on the Connect tab of the House Church app. We hope you have a great week.